And before I forget, we need to wish a happy birthday to the man in papaya, Danny Rick. I've got two bars, right? You ready? So, <clears throat> Daniel, you can't beat Lando. Instead, you're battling the Alpina Fernando. <laughs> there you go. There you go, you see? I love not, how you thought of that earlier as well. I'm not just the Formula One journalist. I've got a few bars as well, so. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Cut to the Race News Roundup Show, the weekly show covering the news, rumours and opinions from the F1 world, brought to you by the Formula Nerds news team. I'm Dan, and we have exactly the same panel as last week on this week's show. We have Charlotte, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Really looking forward to being here again. Good, good. And Jay, how are you? I'm well, thanks Dan. I'm a bit disappointed by Sunday's Styrian Grand Prix, but looking forward to this Sunday's Austrian Grand Prix. Good, that's good to hear. Now, we're an honest bunch of people. We're on take three of this podcast. We've recorded (laughs) it once and it didn't work. We've recorded it twice and the technical problems are still here. We're on take three. So if you actually hear this podcast, please give it five stars. We've tried very hard to get this far. So please give it a five star rating on iTunes. Anyway, moving on. Let's look back to the Styrian Grand Prix. It was a bit boring, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the first bit, the first few laps are really exciting. Um, and then everyone just kind of was stuck in a DRS train or people couldn't close the gaps. So there just wasn't many battles, really. It's, I just, I expected more. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm quite an optimistic person, but that was terrible. And imagine like a couple of weeks ago, if someone said to you, oh, well, Austria or the Styria is going to be really, really boring. And France is going to be really, really good. You'd never have believed them, but isn't it funny how things turn out in Formula One? It's a strange year. It's a strange year. Mercedes aren't leading the championship. That's when we knew it was going to be a strange year. Um, Nothing really happened in the race, as we've said. I guess the most eventful thing from the weekend was in practice when uh, Valtteri Bottas decided that he was going to go for a little spin in the pit lane. And Michael Massey and the FIA decided that a three-place grid drop and two penalty points were an appropriate penalty. Was that harsh, do you guys think? I would say it's it's a pretty difficult one, but I would say potentially no, only because I think in his reasoning and explanation of how this kind of came about was that it was intentional in the sense they were trying something different to start in second gear. So if it wasn't, if it was maybe a complete accident, maybe something could be a bit different in regards to the outcome of his penalty and um, points on off his license, but. If the FI didn't do anything about it, then I think that could just come across not in the best way in the sense of they need to show that you can't be doing this. They need to show that this could have had a really bad outcome. And yeah, you just, you just don't want this to happen again in the future. 100% agree with Charlotte. I mean, you can't not give a sporting kind of penalty for that because it's so dangerous. So you could easily just say, you know what, Valerie? When they give you a fine or put some points in your license, but what kind of message does that sound out to the rest of the grid? Not a very strong one. So I think three places was probably justified and it could have been a lot, lot worse. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows I'm a massive Bottas fan. 
I think that Michael Messi and the FIA had to give a penalty of some sort because otherwise they're saying that spinning in the pit lane and potentially causing serious injury is fine, which it's not. But I think a three-place grid penalty is harsh. And the main reason for this is the wording on their statement. They said that it was potentially dangerous driving, which is why he gave them their penalty. But you don't get a grid penalty for potentially dangerous driving on a Friday if you're on the track. So it's the wording of it that got me a bit. If you're going to give it in the pit lane, you have to give it on the track. I think you have to be consistent. Uh, but the pit lane's a different kind of breed. There's people in the pit lane who are on foot, they're walking around. I mean, the last thing you want to see is a, a crash where there's a massive closing speed where one car's on a push lap and one car's on a slowdown lap. But in the pit lane, it's a completely different kettle of fish and it's so risky and so dangerous. I think, personally, three places he should consider himself lucky. When's the last time you saw someone spin in the pit lane? Uh, George Russell did it on the entrance to the pit lane last year. Yeah, but in the, within the speed-limited section. Grosjean's done it before, I believe. Yeah, but th- th- that's the pit exit, though, at Silverstone, wasn't it, where there was no people. I mean, three places, that's not, that's not too bad. It's, it could have been five. Yeah, and especially that like, he's not really fighting for anything nowadays. I mean, what's, what's three places? Whoa, whoa. He's, fighting for, he's fighting for championship positions. He's fighting for... Well, he's fighting for winning, but he probably won't do that as much as it pains me to say it. He's probably get third on the championship in the championship this year. That's what I think he can achieve. I think, yeah, he can achieve third, but deep down, when Valtteri, when this season finished, will he go, you know what, I came third this year. I'm really happy with that. Yeah, I mean, he'll get third. It's that simple. You know, I've got a long-standing bet with Callum that if Bottas finishes in the top five, Callum has to wear Bottas merch on the next five post-season podcasts. Oh, don't so, uh, rule out Checo. That's all I'm going to say. As long as he I finishes in the top five, he'll finish in the top three. He's catching up to Checo slowly and slowly. The thing that annoyed me more, I think, about last weekend was that Bottas outqualified Lewis on pure pace, but it was kind of forgotten about just because he had this five-place grid penalty. He needs a bit of credit for beating the greatest driver of all time every qualifying he does, I think. Yeah, but Lewis didn't spin in the pit lane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but Bottas didn't lock up on both of his Q3 runs and mess them both up. Yeah, but if, but if you make the mistakes, you've got to be, you know what I mean? You do the crime, you've got to be willing to do the time. And I mean, I he didn't much, kill someone. <laughs> well, he didn't kill someone, but like, I, I don't want to be the guy who over-exaggerates anything, but it could have been so much worse than what it was. He was lucky that, I mean, he'd done well to control the spin to not sort of slide in towards the McLaren mechanics, but... On another day, on a wet track, different different story, maybe. Anyway, moving on from Bottas chat, because I could be here literally all day. Charlotte, who was your driver of the day in Styria? Charlotte Claire. Easy. Really? But yeah. he, like, caused all that havoc. Yeah, but it was the recovery drive that got it for me. There wasn't that much action during that Grand Prix. And Charles Leclerc was just overtaking the majority of the field. And then he almost caught up to Carlos Sainz towards the end. And he could have potentially gone further had he not had any problems, you know? Yeah, just... but I'm sorry. He, he he hit Gasly on the first lap. You can't you can't hit another driver and ruin it. There's an unhappy Gasly fanboy in the room. Oh, it's not about being an unhappy Gasly fanboy. He could have hit... I don't know, Latifi for what I care. It's, it's still the same thing. He he ruined someone's race and you can't be driving today if you ruin someone's race. Yes, it was good. He overtook, what, 13 people to get back to 7th he finished? But... Exactly, 13 people. He hit Gasly. He ruined Giovinazzi's race. He ruined Latifi's race. He hit 
with Raikkonen when he's overtaken him. He clipped his front wing. All of these things he's done wrong, and you want to give him driver of the day? I personally think Carlos. Carlos Sainz. He started, what, 12th? He had a really bad qualifying session. Got beaten by a Williams, which is pretty poor. But driver of the day on Sunday, solid recovery drive up to, what, 6th. And could have even caught up to Lando if Hamilton wasn't just being annoying, just sort of blocking him, and he couldn't quite unlap himself. Yeah, sort of driving Carlos, who's consistently been good this year, I want to add. Consistently been good. Out of all the drivers in a new team, he's definitely adapted the quickest. I would I would say that categorically. There's no there's no debate in that. Ricardo's still struggling, the McLaren. Perez has now caught up in the Red Bull, but he took a little while to get there. People just need to start putting respect when on Carlos Sainz's name. He is he is so close to that upper echelon bracket of Formula One. When we talk about the best drivers on the grid. Obviously, you talk about Hamilton, you talk about Verstappen, you, you can throw Leclerc's name into the mix. Bottas is... Nah, he's not there, I'm afraid. I mean, you <laughs> could is. potentially throw Ricardo, but Ricardo's really struggling this year. Sainz is knocking on that door to be in that top bracket. And people need to start realising that. He's misstuck, consistent, and he's so underrated, it actually pains me. Lando said that himself, hasn't he? He said that he's glad Carlos is doing so well at Ferrari because it shows to people that Lando was a very good driver to stay as close to him as he did when they were teammates. He said that in his interview with Rachel Brooks for Sky, I believe it was, last weekend. Um, I was a bit concerned, to be honest, when I was heading into this show, because I wasn't on the Race Review podcast, and I thought Bottas was going to get bullied, but he didn't. Michael, shout out to Michael, named Bottas as his driver of the day. What a legend. And I'm going to do exactly the same. He had a really solid race. He did everything that Mercedes needed him to do. He held off a charging Sergio Perez, who was on much fresher tyres. He's just perfect, isn't he? I mean, you can say that, but what, what really did he do? I mean, you can say he held off Perez, but Perez wasn't quite close enough. He got lucky to jump Perez because Perez had a slow pit stop. What really did he do? I mean, Lando literally said, here you go, mate. Take, take the corner. He literally just let him go past him. He didn't overtake anyone. He just had a an okay drive. He just drove well but that's not that's not drive of the day worthy i don't think okay let's talk about some news from the last week we haven't covered the news since we last had this show uh one of the pieces of news being that the russian grand prix will be changing locations it's moving from sochi to st petersburg in a couple of years i guess valtteri bottas is the only person disappointed about this piece of news saucy is just a bit dull isn't it charlotte yeah, I mean, I won't be losing sleep over it, that it won't be on the calendar after 2023. And from what I've seen so far, St. Petersburg looks pretty exciting. I think the track is about just over four kilometres long with 15 corners, but it also holds 10 different track layouts. So, yeah, I just think I'm really excited. I like a bit of change and Sochi isn't that exciting. So, yeah, bring it on. I think people's whole issue with Sochi is that it really lacked character. I mean, it had... A really beautiful backdrop and it had the was it Olympic the Winter Olympic Park from 2014. So it's in a lovely part of the world, but the actual track itself was so dull. An abundance of runoff area, corners which were all the sort of same. It was flat, it was dull. The good thing about Agora Drive is that one, it's got grass and it's got gravel, so there's a bit of jeopardy for the drivers. Oh, I love gravel. It's brilliant. I love gravel. Like parabolical, they need to put the gravel back there. That's just that's one of my F1 pet peeves, that there's no gravel at Parabolica. But back to back to the beautiful country of Russia. It does look decent. It's really small. It's actually smaller than the Red Bull ring, which when you think about it is one of the shortest on the calendar, maybe second shortest after Monaco. 
But I've seen plans that they're going to have a little extension in the final sector, elongate one of the back straights, and then put like a weird sort of Mickey Mouse final sector in, which is so Herman Tilke-esque, it's actually painful. And I really hope it doesn't ruin the track because I think it's got a lot of potential. But yeah, it's good that, you know, we had Abu Dhabi change up the layout last week. So it's good that F1's trying to improve racing and hopefully with the new cars and that should make overtaking a bit easier. We should see some better races more consistently in the future anyway. Next up for the news front, we have the fact that Turkey is back on the calendar. It was here and then it wasn't. And then it's here again. It's replacing the cancelled Singapore Grand Prix. Hey, you said last week that Singapore was your favourite track. So are you sad to see it go? I'm almost sure you are. But are you glad to see Turkey replace it? Devastated that Singapore's gone again. I think it's such a beautiful track. It's Monaco, but it's just better because you can kind of overtake. And it's at night and it's got straights. So sad to see Singapore go. But of all the tracks in the world which, you know, could replace it that aren't already on the calendar, I think Turkey's got to be up there. Maybe with maybe Hockenheim Ring, but definitely Turkey is one of my favourite tracks. And last year was such a good race. I think if it's anywhere near as good as what it was in 2020, then we should have been for a treat. They need to resurface the track like a week before the race, don't they? That's why it was so spicy last year. Resurface the track and make sure it rains. <laughs> make sure it rains. A lot. Both of those, both of those. On to Mercedes. Toto Wolff has said that Mercedes wouldn't upgrade the car anymore this year, but then James Allison said that they would, which is interesting because Mercedes are normally known for excellent teamwork. So, Jay, does this surprise you somewhat that their two almost most senior figures are contradicting each other quite heavily? Uh, I don't think it surprises me because I think Mr. Toto Wolff is speaking not correctly that's not the right word he's not speaking honestly that's the word i'm looking for he's not speaking honestly i think it's a bit of a bit of gamesmanship a bit of kidology he's trying to get under red bull skin and personally i don't buy it and i don't think anyone with a bigger wallet than me should buy it either because he's he's definitely playing that game you know a bit like hamilton does when he's on the track and he says to, to bono oh my tires are gone and then he goes and says fastest laps it's that sort of game where he's just trying to unsettle red bull because clearly mercedes is on the back foot so far this year yeah, because I wouldn't say it's um, a miscommunication or anything like that. I would probably say that it's more of maybe Toto trying to keep his cars close to his chest, doesn't want to reveal all his secrets and exciting new plans. But um, yeah, so Alison has highlighted that I think it's going to be more aerodynamic and power unit changes, as I think there's been uh, a change in the regulations this year with the aerodynamics, which has been affecting Mercedes compared to Red Bull. Um and I think it also in Alison's interview with um, F1 Nation podcast, he said that he had been a lot more on the simulate, simulator, gaining more data, along with some other drivers helping the Mercedes team. So, yeah, I think it could be, it definitely is, I think is needed. I think Red Bull are just insane at the moment. Their pace in qualifying especially is just out of this world at the moment. And um yeah, I just think we need to keep our eyes peeled if that is what they're going to do. Red Bull at the moment, you have to say, a favourite for the constructors. They've shown that they're quickest on power-dependent tracks, they're quickest on downforce tracks, they're quickest on tracks with slow corners, fast corners, bumps, God knows what. They're the quickest car in general at the moment. Um, Mercedes need to do something. There's no other way of putting it. They have to change that car. Well, 
I think a couple couple of weeks ago, I wrote a piece for the Formula Nerd website, and I said Red Bull might be kicking themselves after the two street tracks, uh, the two street races in Baku and in Monaco, because even though they won both races, they took a, what, a one four in Monaco, and obviously Perez won in in Baku, but Verstappen didn't finish. And I was thinking, you know what, like they could that could really come back and hurt them in the constructors' title because we're going to some tracks now where Mercedes are really strong. We had France, Verstappen won. We had last week at the Red Bull ring, Verstappen won again. And then, you know, we're going back there again this weekend. And then we go to places like Silverstone, which is very downforce kind of dependent. So can they do it there? If, if they can do it there, then I think it's theirs to lose. Also, um, in today's press conference, I think Hamilton said that they do actually need some sort of upgrade to close the gaps to their rivals. And he said, we would love an upgrade, but I don't think it's in the pipeline at the moment, which once again, it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, whatever they do, they need to do it quickly, basically. It's as simple as that. Anyway, moving on. Grand New Joe, who is the current F2 Championship leader, will make his FP1 debut this weekend in Fernando Alonso's Alpine, which is great on paper. You know, he deserves this chance. But there's no Alpine seat that he could possibly fill until at least the 2023 season. Jay, where does this leave him? Uh, I'm a bit fearful for Zhao because, like you said, there's no sort of immediate pathway into that Alpine seat. Ocon signed that recent three-year deal and Alonso's contracted until at least the end of 2022 and who knows if he's going to retire. It is Fernando after all. But I've been doing a bit of thinking and I think, right, that, you know, the whole silly season kind of kind of process, if George Russell, I know it's going to pain you to see George Russell in that Mercedes seat. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. I can't, I can't hear it. I can't. Because it would definitely be at the expense of a certain Valtteri Bottas and not Lewis Hamilton. So if George Russell does go to Mercedes, that does leave a seat free at Williams. And you see how Russell was a Mercedes driver and they put him at Williams to get that kind of experience. Could Alpine do the same? You know, sponsor him, maybe pay part of his wages just so Williams take him on. And then it kind of suits both parties. It suits Williams because they get a really fast young peddler. And then it kind of suits Alpine as well because their driver for the future is getting some much needed experience in a Formula One car, which can be quite hard to find nowadays. Do you think Latifi will stay in that seat next year? There's a follow-up question to this. Definitely, definitely. I mean, he's got what? He's got a billionaire or millionaire father. Safina is his father's brand. And you see that plastered all over the Williams car. So unless he moves on to a better team which I can't see happening because I don't think he's got the ability of the talent to move up the grid money talks in Formula 1 sadly and I can't see him going anywhere soon so if Latifi's staying in the Williams the other Williams seat is almost definitely reserved for a junior driver no? and the senior team from Williams is Mercedes so surely there's a spot for Granny Joe and you've got the fact that Bottas might end up there if Russell undeservedly takes his seat do you know what it is right? The thing with Bottas is that Bottas probably commands a few quite high wages. You know, he's been around for a while. He's a, a 10-time or 9-time race winner. So he, he probably commands wages that maybe Williams aren't willing to pay. But he brings that experience that is crucial when you're changing regulations. He does bring that experience, but then why not chuck in Nico Hulkenberg? He's probably a bit cheaper and he's got as much experience as Bottas. Because he's been out of F1 for two years, so he won't be able to deliver the same results that Bottas is delivering. He's just out-qualified the greatest driver of all time. No no one's saying that Bottas isn't a a great driver. He he is a very, very good driver. And I think if he was against 
literally most of the people in history apart from maybe Schumacher or Senna he would be a world driver's champion by now but I mean timing it sucks then it and that's just how it goes at the end of the day I think he probably should go back to he, he should go back to Williams that is probably like a nice way to end his career go back to where he started but personally I would rather see Zhao or Nick DeVries that's a bold one I'm going to throw out there. I'd love to see Nick DeVry in there. Yeah, I was just going to say, go back to Guan Yu Zhou, um, that I think he's also been given three more opportunities to drive in a Friday practice session as well. Um, so it'd just be great to have, you know, the future of Formula One being able to drive in Formula One um, and hopefully give teams confidence to sign him on for the future. Also talking about FP1s, this isn't news related, but Keller Mylot is driving for the second time this season in an FP1 in uh, for Alfa Romeo, sorry. Are you pleased to see him back? Um, I'm happy to see Keller Mylot. I think mean, he's a very, very good driver. Very unlucky not to win the F2 Championship last year. My thing is, right, is does he get a seat next year at that, at that team? Because obviously Kimi's getting on now. And I guess that would be a natural replacement. But then would Alfa Romeo really want to, not quite inexperienced, because Giovinazzi has been around for a while, but less experienced uh, faces behind the wheel, would they want, I'm going to say it again, a Nico Hulkenberg, who's dependable, who's consistent, just to go in there. Because I think Giovinazzi this year has been too good to drop. He's been really good. He's out-qualified Raikkonen quite a few times mighty first laps and he's been very very sound so I think it'd be unfair to drop him so maybe either Eilat and Giovinazzi or if they take the safe option Hulkenberg and Giovinazzi well for me with Giovinazzi I do find him just ever so slightly forgettable which is a bit savage but but he looks like Jesus <laughs> yeah how, how can you that beautiful set of hair he's got they are some gorgeous locks let's let's just put it out there you know but yeah, you know, we could be seeing maybe a completely new driver lineup for Alfa Romeo. I definitely think Callum Eilat deserves a shot. You know, he was second in the championship last year for F2. So it's just a shame that there aren't enough teams to put all these drivers in this, uh, you know, in Formula One. I personally, we're diverging off topic here. That's fine. I personally can't see Giovinazzi going anywhere next year i think he's doing what he needs to do to stay in the alfa romeo he's got really quick starts he's get he's improved a lot from last year to this year so i don't think he's going anywhere there's also mick schumacher who people are still linking with alfa romeo despite him having a multi-year contract with Haas. so they've got names they'll have a strong lineup next year because they can choose from mr boah himself kimmy raikkonen or eilat schumacher even schwartzman who's in f2 they've got a lot of choices for next year but as well with Alfa Romeo, in the sense, or with Giovinazzi, I like where, what would be the next step for him? Because I, he can't go to Ferrari. Uh, and then I don't really know where else he would go. Any thoughts? He was annoyed that he didn't get the Ferrari seat, wasn't he, when Carlo Tainz got it? But I'm not sure why he thought he was going to get that Ferrari seat. He's not showing the same exceptional talent that Charles Leclerc did when he was at what was Alba, so I'm not sure why he was annoyed about that. Yeah, I don't think he's he's good enough yet. I mean, who knows, he might have a storm in the second half of the season and justify a place at Ferrari, but from what I've seen so far, he's good, but he's not quite prancing horse standard yet. And if he get there, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe a move, a sideways move, maybe to another midfield team, maybe to Haas, I mean, that might sue them, or Williams, but I can't really see him getting into 
an upper midfield team or a front running team anytime soon, sadly. And finally on the news front, there's been a lot of talk recently that Red Bull are poaching all of the Mercedes engine staff so they can run their own powertrains project. But Aston Martin have recently been poaching a lot of the Red Bull aerodynamic staff. Jay, you know a lot more than me on this. Do you want to explain a little more on what's what's going on between the two teams? Well, I feel like quite a lot has gone under the radar because, like you said, everyone seems to be focusing on Red Bull nicking all of Mercedes' staff. But Aston might have been doing a good bit of digging around too. So Andrew Lazy, who was Red Bull's head of technical operations, has left to join Aston Martin. And also a chap called Dan Fellows, who was the aero chief in Milton Keynes, has also left. And they've also managed to nab a engineering director from Alfa Romeo, a chap called, and bear with me, Luca Fabato, which is, I've absolutely butchered his name there. But yeah, he's gone to Aston Martin. So they're looking, they're optimistic, Aston Martin, I think. And Laurent Stroll, he said before numerous times, he wants them to be a front-running team to challenge the likes of Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari. So good bit of business by them I think do you think we'll see Aston Martin uh, uh, contesting for the championship next year well, who, who knows next year is going to be it's such a clean slate you know I mean, when you think back to what 2014 and Mercedes were what maybe the third or fourth best team in 2013 and out of nowhere they just sprang into life and dominated so it's a clean slate for everyone but what is good is that with Lawrence Stroll coming in, he's got bigger aspirations. When they were a racing point, Aston Martin, sorry, when they were a racing point or when they were Force India, that's the team name, or even Jordan, they were a solid midfield team. They didn't really have the aspirations to challenge at the front. But with Lawrence Stroll coming in, you know, big businessman, he wants them to be challenging for world titles. So I can see them getting there because it looks like they're trying to pluck the best, play, the best people from other teams. So they're doing all the dirty stuff right just can they do it on the track have you seen that the ceo of bwt the water company that are sponsoring aston martin and used to be the title sponsor of racing point want the aston martin to become pink because it stands out more what do you think of that charlotte yeah it's a no from me i just no, don't like it no pink car well i understand because i think they said the green doesn't stand out on tv but I yeah. still think that the green is just so gorgeous. So I don't like the pink that they want isn't like Racing Point pink because Racing Point pink was really stand out and you could see it from miles away, which that was great because at least you knew which car you're looking at. But yeah, yeah, I've yeah, no. <laughs> Jay, the Aston Martin, Aston Martin has to be green. It just it would be wrong to see a pink Aston Martin on a Formula One grid. It's just something that doesn't really sit right, especially with the, the history of that brand. But having said that, there are so many teams this year which are like a bluey green. And you know how before on the timing boards they had just the colours, where this year they've had to put in the, the logos of all the teams, just because there's so many bluey green teams. You've got what, Mercedes with that Petronas green, they call it. Aston Martin's Racing Green, Williams, Alpine, Red Bull, Alpha Tauri. That's what, over half the grid, uh, a very similar colour. So I'd love to see a bit more colour back. Maybe that BWT pink. I'd love to see yellow again on the grid. I used to like that with the Renault. More teams, more colours. Or just sponsor Haas because Haas seems to change their livery for literally anyone. So do that and then they'll get pink back on the grid. I think Haas should do like a different country should sponsor them every year. So they've obviously got Russia this year. They can have Germany next year for Mick Schumacher. And then whatever their drive lineup is, they should they should uh, hand it down. They won't because not everyone's a billionaire 
like Mr. Mazepin is. But we move on. We move on. Let's look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix. Now, the Austrian Grand Prix last year was the first race of the season, which was a very good race. Charlotte, have you got high hopes for the Austrian Grand Prix this year? After last weekend, they're not as high. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I I really hope it is. I would love if it could be a wet race. I know that's in the forecast, but so was it in the forecast last week and that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, I just really want to see more overtakes, more like exciting racing. Um, I know they've gone one step softer for the tyres this weekend. Uh, they've introduced the C5 into the mix, which is apparently a very aggressive tyre. So um, some drivers might opt for a two-stop strategy, which could change things up and think, you know, think about your pits more. But yeah, I just, I would love more action for this weekend. Jay, any any thoughts on Austria? Uh, it's tough because, like Charlotte said, Max Verstappen was so dominant last week. I think it needs rain for it to be a cracker because otherwise, if it's very sort of similar conditions, then he might just drive, drive off into the distance again. But that softer tyre compound this week, it might maybe push Mercedes to do one stop and Red Bull to do the two stop and we get another sort of French Grand Prix scenario and then Kenny hunting down. So... I'm optimistic, but I'm not as optimistic as I probably should be because of last week's awful I think, race. I think strategy is going to come a little more into it this week with the softer tyre compounds. The soft compounds this week is a step softer than last week, so it's it will be aggressive, and I think a lot of teams will look for the two-stop. I mean, George Russell did a three-stop last week anyway, because why not? Mm. Um, I mean, the, the issue with the Red Bull ring is that in terms of tyre degradation, it's not the most punishing of tracks it's not a silverstone where you've got fast sweepers it's, it's a lot of sort of medium speed corners followed by long straight so the tires it might not be as tough to make them last as maybe france or or, or barcelona where we saw people who tried the two stops and obviously hamilton and verstappen winning the races by doing two stop strategies so maybe the one stop might be more beneficial but we'll see on race day i'm not a I'm not a strategist, and well, hopefully it'll be interesting. And before I forget, we need to wish a happy birthday to the man in papaya, Danny Rick. Danny Ricardo's birthday today. What a legend. He's a feel-good guy off the paddock. And Jay, sing happy birthday to Danny Ricardo. Uh, I won't sing, but I've just thought... Um, I've got like a, a quick a quick few bars I wanted to say about Daniel. Well, when I say I've got two bars, right? You ready? So, <clears throat> Daniel, you can't beat Lando. Instead, you're battling the Alpine of Fernando. I love how you thought of that earlier as well. I'm not just the Formula One journalist. I've got a few bars as well. So We should have given you a beat. Oh, we should have done. Oh, Emma's going to Emma's gonna kill you when she listens to this. I mean, it's true, though. He's, he's not been good enough this year. It's true. He, he is he is really struggling this he's year. Really struggling. He? He's really struggling. I mean, Lando, too fair to him, has stepped it up massively. But I think this shows just how good Carlos was in that McLaren Z. I know he wasn't new, but even when he did first enter that team, he was still performing fifth places all the time where Ricardo can't really seem to get in the points. But I would like to say, last week, he showed how good he was in those first few laps. He got up to eighth from 13th. 
And then he had a power unit failure. And then from there on, he just struggled for the rest of the race. So can we just say that he was doing really well and he could have been getting up there, but he had a failure and it wasn't his fault. I just want to add that. But then how far has Ricardo fallen if he's, you know, he's he's content with eight places? This is a guy who's won Grand Prix, he's finished on the podium, he's arguably one of the best drivers on the grid. He shouldn't be settling for seventh, eighth place. He qualified, was it 13th, 12th? 13th, he qualified behind George yeah, Russell. there's oh. no excuse for that. Yeah. All right, guys, all right. Unless you're in Valtteri then you can qualify badly. But Oi, <laughs> there's no need. There was literally no need for that comment. So oh. I myself, I myself. Dear me. Well, as we're recording this, it's Thursday. We've had the press conferences today. I'll just run you through the pairings very quickly in case you're wondering who is with who. We had Italian Jesus with Sergio Perez, Yuki Tsunoda with Nikita Mazaspin, Carlos Sainz with Mick Schumacher, Raikkonen with Leclerc, Gasly with Latifi, Ocon with Hamilton, Ricardo with Russell, Alonso Verstappen, Norris and Bottas, and Stroll and Vettel. Sure, are there any pairings that stand out to you there? Um, not particularly. Um, it's not... All right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I only say this because the pairings, there isn't like great friendships between them or there's not a great rivalry. So I don't think it was going to be the most like juiciest and like, oh my gosh, they're together kind of pairings today. I was going to add, do you think you said Lewis is with Ocon this weekend, didn't you? He's with Ocon. Yep. Do you think he really knows who... Ocon is. I just don't. I don't get the feeling that he really knows much about like what's going on outside of his rivalry. So he might know the Stappen, Perez, obviously Bottas, Vettel, all these old rivals. But someone like Ocon, who he's never really battled with before. I mean, Ocon was part of the Mercedes team, so maybe that's unfair. But maybe like a um, a Mazepin or a Latifi. Do you think he really knows? Like, if you said to him, "What's this guy's first name?" He go, "Yeah, that's Nicholas Latifi. He's from Canada." Or do you think he'd just be? Oh yeah, this is just a guy who's just on the same grid as me. No, yeah, I reckon. He, I reckon they're. I don't want to say objects. That sounds really bad. But they're just they're drivers on the grid to Lewis Hamilton. You know, he didn't know who Franz Tost was last year. He was asked in a press conference about a quote that Franz Tost gave, and he just said who. And then Tom really? Clark. And then Tom Clarkson had to explain who Franz Tost was. So uh, yeah, he, he does. He definitely. You've got a point there. He doesn't know too much outside of his rivals. Um, Verstappen gave an interesting quote today. He finished the steering Grand Prix, obviously, in the lead and then did a burnout on the line, which everyone called a bit dangerous. And then all the Verstappen fans were like, oh, that's not dangerous. That's perfectly fine. Verstappen's actually agreed with the FIA. He said, I can understand the safety concerns, but when we burn tyres in Austria, everyone was on the left. If that's not allowed, I won't do it again. At the moment, I thought it was really fun and safe. I understand they don't want this to happen. No problem from me. Which I think is fair enough. Jay, yeah. do you think that's the honourable thing? I think, I think that's thing? well said. I think it's well said. Uh, it is It is dangerous, clearly. I mean, even though everyone was on the left, you never know. Someone tucks out of a, of a slipstream to go down the inside into turn one and there's a red ball in the way and then you get a, an airplane crash. So I think Verstappen, he's, he spoke very eloquently and very maturely, which I think is a sign of the kind of driver he's becoming. And yeah, I mean, there's no, no more really to add to that. He's he, he's done his thing. Massey said no, and we all move on. The Verstappen of three years ago wouldn't have wouldn't have just put up with that. Would he? He's yeah. matured a lot. He would have he would have been angry probably on in the media having a go at, uh, at Mr. Massey. Like, do you remember when 
Ocon cost him a win. I mean, I know that's completely different, but he tried to fight him in the in part Fermi. So I think Verstappen he's matured a lot, and it's something that Christian Horner was touched on recently as well. Just how much of a mature and experienced driver he's become. Remember, he's only twenty three as well. He's only twenty three, but he's got a wise young head on them very young shoulders. And while we're speaking about Red Bull drivers' press conferences, we've mentioned the future of Pierre Gasly. He's had his say on his future in the press conference today. And he said, At the moment, I don't know what is the will of Helmet. That's Helmet Marco, the leader of the Red Bull driver programme. Whether they want to take me back, whether they want me to stay in Alpha Tauri, so that's take me back to Red Bull, whether they are willing to release me to another team. There are interests of other teams, which I think is a key part of that statement. The fact that he said openly other teams are interested in him. What other teams they could be, I don't know. I am obviously trying my best and showing my potential. Trying my best to Alpha Tauri, then going forward, we will see what are the most attractive options that we have. But ultimately, it goes down to Red Bull discussing with them what to do going forwards. So if it is down to Red Bull, like he's saying, I don't think he's going anywhere from the Alpha Tauri team. What do you think, Charlotte? Well, he is just performing so well at Alpha Tauri. You know, he scored them podiums. He's been in the top six, I think, for the last, you know, few races. And I don't think Red Bull would want that to slip through their fingers. But at the same time, I can't see him going back to Red Bull at the moment. You know, he's got a lot of competition going on there. Well, Perez is killing it. Alex Albon wants to come back. There's, you know, so many other drivers in the lower formulas who would obviously love to join Red Bull or in the program as well. So even though it's not, you know, it's a midfield team and he he needs to do better than Alpha Tauri, I think he's just doing great there. I think he should stay at least maybe for another year, potentially. He's embarrassing. Red Bull is what he's doing. You know, he went to the Red Bull main team. They went, no, you're crap. Go back to Alpha Tauri. And now he's going, no, I'm not crap. I'm a brilliant driver. I'm going to stick this lower midfield car in the top six in qualifying every week. Jay, any comments? You're a massive Gasly fan. Cool. Massive. That's a big word. Both you are. You are. <laughs> I do like him. I do like him. Um, I, I wouldn't say my love for Gasly is as big as your love for Bottas. But yeah, no one's love for anyone is as big as my love for Bottas, excluding my family. In case they're <laughs> listening, say you could have an angry, an angry couple of people when you leave this. <laughs> um, uh, Gasly, I can't see him getting back to that top team. I think those bridges have been burned. But like Charlotte said, it it suits AlphaTauri to have Gasly there because he's experienced. He can perform really well. He knows the team inside out. They know him inside out. They know what they need from each other. And he's capable of putting it in sort of fifth, sixth place. But if he's going to progress his career and get into a, a car capable of winning races, I don't think it'd be the Red Bull. Maybe next year, maybe McLaren and Ferrari can get back up there. Maybe maybe the Mercedes seat, you know, just throw that one in there. George Russell and Gasly at Mercedes. Who would see that coming? But that, that wouldn't be a drive. That wouldn't be a bad driver pairing, I don't think. So Red Bull, no, but for the for the short term future, let's look at Alpha Tauri. I think this year the Alpha Tauri is a really good car. I think the drivers have had some bad races. I mean, remember Gasly and Bahrain hit Ricardo. Sonoda hasn't quite lived up to the hype, and the team have made a few sort of strategical errors as well. I think that Alpha Tauri is capable at certain tracks of pushing the the McLaren and the Ferrari. So if they can do that, then in the in the future then it definitely suits Gasly to stay there okay and to finish off this week we're going to have one 
bold prediction each as to what's going to happen at the Austrian Grand Prix. Jay, one bold prediction from you. A bold prediction is going to be vengeance for George Russell. I think he drove spectacularly, spectacularly last weekend. He was 11th in quali and then got put to 10th due to Soda's penalty. He was superb in the race. He was running the 8th behind Alonso and keeping pace with the Alpine. And he probably would have scored points if it wasn't for that pneumatic pressure issue. So if he can perform as well this weekend, I don't see why he can't score his first points for Williams. Charlotte, one bold prediction from you. Um, I feel like I have two, but it's cast under one. So I'm going to go for it. Why not? Why not? It's McLaren. So I think bold prediction, Lando podium. And then I'm going to say Daniel Ricciardo. I'm going to say it, top six finish. Let's go. So Danny Rick, top six finish and Lando Norris podium. That's big points for McLaren. And I can't exactly. see either of them happening, to be honest with you. It's a bit savage, but you asked for a bold prediction. There you go. It's bold, it's bold. Don't knock it. <laughs> My bold prediction for the weekend is going to be that Max Verstappen is forced to retire from the race with an issue with his car, engine, gearbox, I'm not specifying. But I don't think he's going to finish the race. I think he's going to have an issue with his car and he's going to get all mad over the team radio. I don't think it will be a crashing issue. I think it will be a mechanical issue. Well, you just said that Lando podium is a bit bold. If Verstappen doesn't finish, I mean, what, Lando is, what, the fifth fastest? He was the fifth. He came fifth on Sunday. He's been fifth literally yep. all season. So, I mean, if one person ahead of him doesn't finish, you can't really knock him for a podium. Exactly. Hamilton, Bottas, Perez. Lando, you know what I mean? It only needs a, a mistake from Bottas, which he certainly isn't immune to. And there you go, he's on the podium. <laughs> Bottas goes well at Austria, though. So I, I can see a Bottas win. I honestly can. I would make that my bold prediction, but it's too obvious for me. So I'm saying Max Verstappen has car issues. But I know Bottas will win anyway, and I'll do a shooey if Bottas wins. So, you know, we're, well, we're all happy. Does that, that Honda, that Honda power unit, is looking really good this year. It's what, one of the quickest. It's been the best performing so far, I think. I mean, you were saying at France, Mercedes was saying they were 0.2 of a second slower than uh, slower than Red Bull in the straights. And obviously we've got some higher power circuits coming up. You think Spa, Monza, both higher power. Mexico, in a way, they've got a lot of long straights. So you can't, you can't really knock that power unit just yet. It's been really good. And I think... Honda's parting gift to Formula 1 and to Red Bull is a power unit capable of winning a world championship. What are the name of the group of people that are responsible for maintaining the power unit? Uh, the, <laughs> the engineering directors. Nice. The, what's that? The engine directors. That, the, sorry? The engineering directors that look after the engine. I just want we, to we've lost Ollie now. He has no idea what we're on about. We'll, edit, we'll completely edit this out. All right, that is all we've got time for on this week's news roundup, which also included a bit of chat about both Austrian races, because why not? Jay, thank you very much for coming. Dan, always a pleasure. Charlotte, thank you very much. Thank you. Please give us a five stars on iTunes and be sure to visit www.formulanerds.com where we get all our news from. And it's just a brilliant website. You know, if you've got a spare hour, head over there. That hour will fly by. We'll see you on Sunday for the Austrian Grand Prix race review. Thank you very much. Goodbye.